Hey, Shelvies. Buckle up for a new episode of the Shelved Books Podcast, where every writer has a story that may never see the light of day. This is the podcast where authors share the stories that they shelved, the manuscripts that they may never publish. Then they explore the reason why they shelved this story. Welcome to the Shelved Books Podcast. Hey, Shelvies. Welcome back to the Shelved Books Podcast. We are your hosts, Kate Evangelista. Angie Sandro. Christy Berman. It's another week, another Thursday, another new episode of the podcast. And we are just absolutely giddy with the guests that we have today. And, uh, you know, uh, the author, she is the author of the acclaimed suspense and acclaimed suspense and thrillers for adults and teens, including The Kill Club, which I have. And she's too pretty to burn and dead and girls. She can often be found haunting local hiking trails and bookstores. Speaking of hiking trails, if you're listening to this while hiking, yeah, we are so, so grateful for that and loves all things vintage and has a collection of thrillers and adventure books from the 80s. I think the 80s is like a great decade for thrillers. So yes, I can relate. You can access free short stories in an interactive fiction game through her newsletter on her website. So after you listen to this podcast, please head on to her website and explore. It's definitely worth, she's definitely worth a follow and uh, a look through. But if you haven't heard of our guest yet, where have you been? Welcome to the podcast, <laughs> Wendy Hurd. Yay! Well, thank you so much for having me. That's quite the intro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, we... Again, we are so grateful that we were able to reschedule and we were able to have you because the moment that, you know, I read Kill Club, I'm like, oh, you need Wendy on this podcast. <laughs> so uh, I did my thing and uh, slipped into, I, I, it's not your DMs, I think. I think I commented somewhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's usually that's usually how we do it. It's like, hello. We are not scary, we are uh, harmless, and uh, please come on our podcast. Yes. And so we are grateful that you are on, uh, you are here today. So uh, if you can tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, so um, I am an LA native, which I know people are like, they come here, but it, I'm like an actual like fourth generation Angelino, which is kind of a weird thing. Um, I, um, I've i written, I'm, I'm trying to think how many, I think I, this summer I'll have six books out. I have two coming out this summer. Uh, we'll Never Tell, which is a young adult thriller, and You Can Trust Me, which is an adult thriller or suspense. Um, yeah, and so I've been writing for a long time. It took me a long time to get published, like a very long time. So I thought this this would be kind of an interesting conversation because I'm certainly someone who has um, a lot of projects that have been shelved over the years. And I've written in a bunch of different genres and I didn't start out intending to write in this space primarily. It just kind of happened. So yeah, we all kind of have our own and interesting different journeys to get to where we are. Definitely. Yeah, and that's something that we would also like to explore moving forward because sometimes, you know, as I think a lot of fledgling writers that start off, it's more of they see a trend maybe that's, that's mm-hmm. you know, 
exploding at the moment and they're like oh i'll try that i'll try that mm-hmm. and then eventually they fall into a uh trap sometimes of maybe that wasn't the meant to be the genre or age range that they're writing in and then they mm-hmm. fall into because uh, that's interesting what you said they could fall into like a genre that they never necessarily thought of writing but that's where it clicks so yeah um moving to your shelf books uh what did you which which genre did you start in when you started so writing? i i first started writing i just wanted to write general fiction you know i wanted to write like literary fiction or contemporary fiction i would say um and then i i think i wrote my first full manuscript when i was about 19 and um it was just it was just pretty rough you know it wasn't <laughs> it was let's just say it was very deep okay it was very <laughs> deep thoughts you know at 19 i had a lot of wisdom about the the human condition that i felt i needed to share um and i was just like rejected so enthusiastically by everyone i sent it to that i kind of gave up for a good 10 years um and i didn't start trying to write full length novels again for, you know, at least 10 years or so. And then when I did, I just kind of got an idea that I, my brain would not let go of. And I ended up writing, um, I think three young adult books with this one protagonist. um, And then I rewrote those three books into one. um, And I queried the absolute F out of those books. And like, again, I got that on those, I got bites, but the big, Thing was I hadn't really learned how to construct plots yet so even though I was getting a lot of good practice in characterization and in studying and in ideas I, I wasn't constructing plots in a way that was making sense to the reader um, and so after that experience I was like okay I've now been back to writing again for a long time like it had at that point been like three four years I've been back to writing books um, I was like I if I'm gonna try to do this I think I should try to like figure out what I'm doing wrong and fix it. So I started reading a lot of craft books and taking apart my ideas under that, you know, from that lens or through that lens. And that's when I started writing books that actually got like real, the next book I write, I wrote got a lot of requests, but it was dystopian and dystopian was kind of on its way out. Speaking of genre, like where it just was really difficult to sell a dystopian novel at that time. And then the next book I wrote after that was the one that got published. And that was Hunting Annabelle, my first book. So, you know, it just, it was a journey figuring out what, it's not just what I wanted to write, but it was what I was best at writing, which turned out to be like mystery, suspense, thriller. It wasn't what I set out to write in the first place. So how did you figure that out? I mean, was it something that... Yeah, I mean, I, looking back, all of my books had that in it, had that in them. Um, and I, and looking even back further at like who I was as a person, as a child and what kind of books, for example, I mean, I was reading Stephen King in elementary school. I was obsessed with Edgar Allan Poe. I had like notebooks full of Edgar Allan Poe fan fiction. Wow. I I had read every single Sherlock Holmes novel, like 1 million times by the time I was in high school. Like it, it's not that much of a reach when you look back at who I actually am. Like I joined 
choir when I was in elementary school because they were doing Phantom of the Opera. Like, <laughs> and then I left when they were done. Like, so I just think it's not that, um, it's not that uh, surprising, but I guess it took me some time to realize that's kind of the space I wanted to be an artist. And I guess also I had absorbed a lot of, a lot of negative feelings about genre fiction because I have on both sides of my family I have a lot of English teachers and my dad was this like bohemian writer type of person in San Francisco he never got published and he was always pretty um like disdainful about the commercial publication process and to be honest he still is um he thinks you know letting someone edit your books that much is kind of selling out I think and those types of things and so I had absorbed a lot of like ideas about what real writing is and what real books are. And so I think I was afraid to try to write in those genre spaces and be ashamed of that. So that was another part of it, I think. I, I completely, I can completely relate because when I, um, I studied literature in college. So mm -hmm. when you're in the literature space, there's a certain mindset of yeah. like what passes as uh read you know like reading you know and yeah. if it's not a Nobel Prize winner if it's not yeah. uh, uh dare you even mention romance in that <laughs> yeah. space and they will be like oh romance yeah. you know as if uh writing uh uh Nobel Prize winning book and a romance novel as, as if the process is any harder or any easier mm -hmm. than, yeah. you know, so I can totally relate and I, and I had to shake, I had to shake off that mindset. Um, yeah. Because it is ingrained in you and you're like, oh, wait, 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 wait. There's more, there's more to it than just. Yeah. yeah and the problem is that like, when I look back, I mean, my whole life, I had been teased by my dad or by other people in my family because the type of books I would read, I would read everything, like from Stephen King to vintage Victorian British literature. But then I would also be consuming Sweet Valley High and Christopher Pike. And like, I, I could read, I was one of those voracious readers. I would read everything and anything I could get my hands on. Like, we didn't have any money. So it was like, here's a dollar, go to the used bookstore and get five 20 cent five books out of the dollar pile kind of a vibe, you know? So I would read anything and um, I would get teased just all the time. Like, what are you reading? Um, that's just trash. Um, but then I would also be happy to read the more literary works too. It was just, um, I don't know. I, I guess I just had to shake, like you said, I had to shake that off because at the end of the day, it just wasn't who I was. I actually like reading books that are pacey and that are um, commercial. I like commercial fiction. I, I think it's, enjoyable to read and I didn't no one ever told me that you can be a commercial fiction writer and also be working with things like metaphor and theme and you know that you can also be trying to tell the same type of stories with the same amount of meaning in them even though it can still be like commercial and pacey and plotty I never really understood that that was an option yeah like that it would have layers uh, mm -hmm. beneath what is normally seen in the plot and in the and, and yeah. anyway I mean not to get into a very academic discussion <laughs> here but it's just that theme is assigned um, sometimes writers don't really write with a theme in mind um, mm -hmm. it is the literary 
you know, masses that are like, oh, this is the theme of this book, and um, it could be dissected in any form, any way, and, you know, if they, you know, and, and, and if, if you ask the writer, did was this the theme? And they're like, actually, no, I was just writing it because of the character and the plot, and, you know, and mm -hmm. the academics are the ones that, oh, but here's the theme. You know, so, but yeah. it does show that I guess that's why your first book, as you were saying, is that, you know, it had, it, it was deep. It, it, you were still writing from that point of view. Mm -hmm. My, yeah. like my very first one, like when I was yes. 19. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 19. It was called Circles and it was about, it was, do you know that thing that really young writers do where they write something that's semi-autobiographical like it's not autobiographical but it's a little bit it's almost mm -hmm. like they pull the protagonist from their own life even though it's not them it's sort of like a shadow version of them yeah I think that's just a, a really normal thing to do when you're getting started because um it's just you're practicing you know you're learning how to write a protagonist and of course for all of us we are all the main characters of our own lives and so mm -hmm. when we write our first few protagonists oftentimes they're very you know, reminiscent of our own experiences. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's kind of how that was. <clears throat> and I was just kind of exploring that time of life when a young person is sort of like done with schooling, but um, not fully like an adult with a career, you know, and so you're kind of in that weird middle place. Mm -hmm. And the attachments and relationships you form in that middle ground, um, and how I, I was exploring this idea that like you start running in these little circles from the habits that you had when you were a child and a teenager and you kind of bring those into your next phase but they're not all serving you and how does this end up how do you get off this little hamster wheel of things that you've been doing as a child those types of things I mean it was just you know <clears throat> a young a young woman doing her day-to-day -day life and thinking deep thoughts I think is pretty that much was pretty deep <laughs> Well, the thing is, there are some books too. like that out there, too. Like, I mean, right. there's definitely writers who make a living out of doing that. So you had the great idea there, you know. Yes. But um, what made you... I was you... reading a lot of Banana Yoshimoto at the time. Um, and she was the first writer I ever saw where she was a young woman. <clears throat> and she was being taken super seriously. But she was a young woman writing literary fiction about young women. And people were not shelving her as YA People were not shelving her as romance. They were shelving her as literary fiction. And she was being taken very seriously. And that was the only time I had ever seen that happen. And I can't even think of that many times I've seen it happen since, honestly. Like, it just, it doesn't happen that often where a 21-year-old woman or however old she was is writing these, like, slim literary volumes. And, I mean, and no less in another country and being translated and taken super seriously here. I mean, it just doesn't happen that much. So... Yeah. I found her really, uh, I was obsessed. I thought she was like the coolest of all cools. And I was like, well, she can do it. I can do it. Like yeah. maybe, maybe there's a chance, you know? So that was like kind of the inspiration, I think, subconsciously. So now 10 years is a very long time to not sit down and write anything at all. So that idea that you had for those three books must have been pretty amazing. So what were they about? Well, I was songwriting. So I kind of switched it over and I was doing music. So I had always done, uh, I had started playing guitar when I was seven and I had always done both music and writing kind of concurrently 
And, um, and I was also, I also painted, I was, I had have a painting degree. So I had like the little trio of creative um, passions that I was always trying to figure out how to balance them and like which one was going to take front and center. And so I would go through phases of my life where I would kind of trade between them. So there were like five years during that 10 year period when I was getting my art degree. Nice. Um, and so for a good three years of that, I was like only focused on painting. And then I also, and then I moved and I started doing a lot of songwriting. Um, and so it wasn't until later that I kind of had stopped songwriting and I had stopped painting and then it was like writing's time again. So that's kind of why that big gap. Very cool. And what was the, yeah. when you were still in the creative space? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So those, that, those books were about, I just had an idea for, um, I don't know why this protagonist just kind of le leapt into my head. Um, I had it in my mind of like a girl, um, I guess I wanted to write about where I had grown up. I grew up in like an, a lower income part of Los Angeles that you don't see a lot in books and um, TV. Um, I wrote about, I didn't grow up in the place that Jazz lives in the Kill Club, but similar vibe to where jazz is in the kill clubs. I, I like writing about that in LA because you grew up seeing so much like glamorized, you know, content mm -hmm. of the city that you live in. But I think something like 70% of LA lives below the poverty line. Like, so it's, it's actually pretty working class as a city. Um, and also something, I think it's a 79% of Los Angeles is bilingual. And it's just not the city you see on TV. It really isn't. There's actually a show out right now called City of Ghosts on Netflix. Um, it's a children's animated show, but it's about um, children, ghost detectives, and they just go in different parts of Los Angeles and like interview people. And they basically like see like there's a ghost of someone's past and then they interview them. And it it's actually probably the best representative representation of LA that I've seen on TV. Um, it's really, really lovely. Um, so if you want good LA representation, I'd say City of Ghosts on Netflix. Um, but I, I think I wanted to write a protagonist growing up in the same type of area I did. So I had this protagonist who was growing up in the same type of area that I did. And she gets roped into like an old Hollywood mystery. Like she fought, she's living in like an old apartment building and like finds a necklace and like ends up in this mystery surrounding like a cult from old Hollywood. So it was kind Ooh. of like young adult. Um, I, I think it was, I can't even remember what it's called, so The Necklace, The Circle of Hollywood or something. And then I wrote a follow-up book to that where the, then she got a love interest and then a follow-up book to that where then there was like this other thing. Um, and then I rewrote the entire three together because I was like, this doesn't need to be three books. This can be one book. Um, and I kind of cut the first mystery and then just did like, I found her like love story and then the subsequent um, story like it was like she discovered her dad was a her a previously unknown bio dad was a senator and he was like embroiled in this um scandal I don't know it was a whole thing like with his housekeeper <laughs> and the weird thing was that like shortly after I had written this and was querying it it turned out that Arnold Schwarzenegger was like in the exact situation that I had <laughs> written into this book and I was like oh my god <laughs> You have prophesied. <laughs> oh, prophet. Um, yeah, so I ended up calling that one Electric Ghost Town, which is actually my favorite title that I've ever written. Yeah. I miss that title so much. And I've actually tried to reuse it a couple of times. <laughs> I always get to know. But yeah, Aww. so that one I, I queried the absolute crap out of. And I felt like that was like the book of my heart. Like I worked on that for like mm -hmm. three years. That, la that one book. 
And I really felt like that was the one, like that was the one that was my, that was supposed to be my like debut novel. Looking back, I'm glad I did not, but I really at the time felt like it was supposed to be my first book, you know? Were you getting so, full requests? Were you getting? Yeah, I got full requests. I got some, R I got a couple R and R's. Um, but again, this is before I learned how to write plots. Right. So like I had like a general idea of like when I wanted things to happen in the story, but it wasn't, it just wasn't landing. I, I felt like it was landing. I hadn't reached that point in my writing where I was objective enough to really be able to say what was and what wasn't working. You know, I was kind of just so emotionally attached to the project. So were you working on something else at the same time that you were querying uh, this book? No, I think I was just kind of focused on this project. Then as I had been querying for a while, I started working on the next thing after I had Kind of realized, okay, I might need to think about my next project, you know. Um, and the next one was a dystopia novel that, again, I was really, really passionate about. And I want to go back and rewrite that one someday. Um, I love the world in that book so much. Um, but again, like, I, this is the first novel, like, I rewrote it using beat sheets and stuff, but it was my first attempt at a plot with like a three act structure and um it was just very new to me so I I'm sure that it wasn't it didn't land like it needed to you know now when you when you say you studied plot and everything like did you attend classes did you grab a whole bunch of stacks of books and and what did you land yeah. on like are you a plotter a pantser somewhere in between so at this point I was a single mom with like a two-year-old daughter um so there was no classes it was all just like reading by myself in the dark of night um, and so, yeah, I got Save the Cat, I got Anatomy of Story, and I got, those were the two, I got a lot of books, but those were the two I leaned on when I was like, the other books were very like heavy on instruction and things. I felt like I was naturally, had practiced a lot because mm -hmm. there were things that I had maybe absorbed by osmosis just from so much reading or, you know, stuff like that. But um, the plot stuff, I really needed help with. And so I started using beat sheets. Um, in the dystopian novel, I made a mistake where I overplotted it to the point where then it was kind of like the outline was too big. It was too much. I couldn't easily make changes to it. I had every scene planned and that I realized wasn't going to work for me. So I've developed a style now where I do a beat sheet, but I only scene plan to the next plot point. And then I stop and I see how it's going and I revise. Okay. And then I'll scene plan to the next plot point and then I'll stop and I'll revise. So that way I don't have a lot of wasted outlining because things do change for me between, you know, plot points. And then by the time I get to the end of the book, it's really been revised like five times yeah. because I'm revising every time. Yeah. I like that. Now, do you know the ending of your, of your book before you start writing? No, I always... <laughs> I only You're do the a mystery writer. Yeah, <laughs> do you know? that's amazing. I do the beat sheet up to the um, Dark Knight of the Soul beat, like yep. the one where the character cannot escape. They are like painted in the corner, and I actually don't plot farther than that. Usually, I get there and I decide, given what I've done, mm -hmm. you know what I mean. Like, I know the character main character is going to probably get out of this in one way or another, but like, I don't know exactly what the ending is going to need to feel like until I get to that point. You know, I mean, I'm probably, I've, I've tried to kill off the main character once and it was like, no, 
So I'm like, I know the main character is probably going to get out of this. So I know that the ending is probably going to be that. But apart from that, I know I try to like leave that for, um, I don't know, like by the time I get to that point, I know the character so well. I know the story so well. I don't know it as well when I'm starting out, you know, so I don't know exactly what the reader is going to need from me to feel like this has been the type of journey that I want them to feel like they've been on. My mind is blown. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did not, never have I, the rule follower that I am, that's just, I, I can, I cannot, like, I, but it explains mind. why her the endings of the books are so good though right yeah. because like you're writing and then you're figuring out how is he going to get yes. out of this or how is she going to get out of this so mind yeah. blown yeah because sometimes endings are tough and yeah. you know short of killing everyone just to end this book <laughs> um, Shakespeare yeah <laughs> but that is so you know that is so amazing I never thought of it that way. I never thought it possible, but it is. It's so common sense. It's like, just stop at one point. And because, you know, it's like some, for me, I feel like sometimes I need to finish the, the beach. Yeah. But then now that's a great idea to actually stop mm. at the dark night of the soul. So yeah. like, as an example, in I have a book called She's Too Pretty to Burn. And um, yes. there's, I get to the end of the dark night of the soul. I got to the end of all of that. And once I got there and I was like, now I'm like, now I've got to plan act three, you know? And I always hate myself when I get there. Cause I'm like freaking past Wendy. I can't believe you left this for me. I'm on <laughs> deadline. I only left myself like two weeks for this. I can't oh, no. believe you didn't help me. I'm always mad at myself. Sometimes I call my agent and I'm like, okay, Jazz is in the back of a car and she is handcuffed and I don't know how to get her out of this. Like, I, I don't know what to do. Sometimes I do like, I, I panic, but. And she's too pretty to burn. That's one where I was like, I got us to that point. And I was like, I think we need to hear from Nico. And it was the first time I had ever done that. But like in, at the end of She's Too Pretty to Burn, that's the first time I've ever done this where I swapped to like a couple chapters from the villain's perspective. But the only reason I had done that was because I felt like instinctively that the reader was going to feel really gratified by having, by seeing him show up right there and being like, this whole time he's been mysterious. Like, what's he really thinking? He's this like extreme, like blotter behind the scenes. And I was like, I really think we just need a minute where we talk to him. Mm. You know, I think I need to break that fourth wall with him and like actually have him talk to the reader for a minute. So I put like Nico in second person at the end there. And so like, it just, I would never have known to do that if I had tried to plan this out from the beginning. It wasn't part of the like formula. It was just sort of like, I just think that would be, if I was reading this book, I would find that really interesting right now, you know? And so it kind of helps me get to that point. So my question there is like, because when you introduce something like that, that's almost mm -hmm. like it's out of left field type of yeah. thing. When, when it gets to the editor, um, do they, do they, you know, like, oh, why, why is it, shouldn't it be more consistent throughout the book or um did they did they uh go against that no I mean my I, I just was getting like screaming emojis in the uh <laughs> margins of the Nico chapters <laughs> my editor was like oh my god that's um, cool that's have you ever like no, no go 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 ahead go ahead no I, I mean, was just that's, saying that's good I wasn't expecting I like, yeah I feel like 
another editor would have said, then if you're introducing him here, then he should have been there from the mm -hmm. very beginning. He must have worked really well then. Yeah. Was it good screaming or was it was no? It was good screaming. <laughs> it was, I think it was good screaming. I mean, and she was just kind of like. I mean, I that editor for my young adult books. I've worked with her on all of my young adult books, actually. So, I just really like working with her. But she's um, she's a, she's a champ. She just kind of goes along for the ride, and she's like, okay, if you want to do this, maybe you know. Sometimes she'll have some helpful little kind. Uh, she's Canadian, so kind Canadian comments in the margins. That's I'm not awesome. sure if you meant this to be and it'll be some like awful typo she's like I'm not sure if this is what you meant I'm like, no I used the wrong word <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry um I, I can only say that because I'm Canadian so that's the only reason but <laughs> I also I wanted to tell you like I mean I think what you're doing is that's a great way of doing it but have you ever written yourself into a corner like have you ever had yes. to say like eee, I need to go back dude Okay, the best <laughs> corner I've ever written myself into was, I, I'm not going to say which book this was because it'll be a spoiler. There is a book I've written where a character ends up locked in the back of a refrigerator truck. Okay? We're like, oh, how do you get out of that? <laughs> and I wrote up to that point and I was like, this is it. Dark Knight of the Soul. She's trapped. And so fast forward to me getting to that point in the plot, I'm sitting at like a hotel bar because I have taken myself to a hotel in Morro Bay to like finish this book. And I am researching the construction of refrigerator trucks. And I'm like, oh my God, how is she going to get out of this? I'm like, I don't know. So I'm oh, no. like researching. I'm like, how are they constructed? Like, what can I, like, she can't have any tools. Like she just got thrown in there in her regular clothes. So me just like banging my head on the counter of this bar trying to figure out how to get this poor chick out of this refrigerator truck so yes I have I have and um, I love that though I think and I love the fact that you put yourself in the shoes of the reader like I I think that's like something I'm learning right now because I don't think that I do that often enough like I love that you're doing up to that point that's like what does the reader want it's awesome yeah. Mm -hmm. it's something I, I I've been thinking I've thought about this a lot ever since I read the save the cat like promise of the premise idea yes. and but I, I kind of started taking it far so there's two things there's the promise of the premise and then there's the loaded guns mm -hmm. and so I try to get to the last act of the book and I think what are all the promises I've made to the reader in a book like this you know what I mean like what are all the things the reader is like ex not expecting not like saying oh I, I did a bad guy so he's gonna get his due it's not that it's like what issues did I promise to deal with? Which questions did I promise to answer? Which personality traits did I promise to unpack? Which loaded guns did I write into this story? For example, if I had a character, I'm just making this up. Like, let's just say I had a character with a violent um, urge to set things on fire, but he never set anything on fire. Like the mm -hmm. character would be like, well, why did you write that in? You know, why did you write, give me an arsonist who never sets anything on fire? Like. So I try to go through and think about all the things I've like put I've loaded into these characters that they're like guns that need to go off in the third act. You know what I mean? Like, so for example, in the kill club, jazz is very reckless. I need to make sure that that is something that really explodes in her face and that she has to face up to in the last act. And then for example, um, you know, I'm just trying to think of like other things that are not so spoilery. <laughs> 
Oh, the know, it's hard to go into a thriller writer. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean. Like, there's yeah. things where you're like, you've written this in, and if you don't deal with this, it's going to feel unfinished. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so it's not about giving the reader exactly what they want. It's more just saying, I br- I'm the one who brought up this question. I'm the one who told who who brought up the subject. It's going to be very frustrating for you if I brought up the subject, but then I never answered the question. You know. Really? Yeah. And that's the difference between a good ending and a bad ending, right? Yeah. There's yeah. been endings I wish I could have do differently. There's definitely things that I, if I were to do something differently, I would, like in retrospect, but that's been the thinking as I've been doing it. I love it. Yeah. Your methods are amazing. I know. Mm-hmm. This is like a master class of like learning how to write all over again. Cause it's like <laughs> it, it's it's fascinating how you were able to, you know find this method of writing that so supports the kind of books that you are writing. Yeah. And um, But going back to the, because you stopped for like 10 years between the first book and then the next book that you tried, mm-hmm. um, what prevented you from, because you said that it was the, it was also rejected. What yeah. prevented you from stopping writing for another 10 years? and moving on to a new project. It's true because you were doing yeah. music and art, so you could have gone to that. Yes, you could have gone So when back. I started writing again, I had my daughter, she was a baby. And I was in a really difficult place. Like I was, I got a divorce, my daughter was a baby. So it was a very difficult time in my life. And writing started to fill a hole. Like I didn't, I couldn't paint because I don't know if you've ever tried to be an oil painter with an infant, but it is not a thing. <laughs> um, and music wasn't really a thing. Although I did do some music when she was young too. It, it, it started to be an outlet in a way I started, and I started to really lean on it in a way that I hadn't before. And I think because motherhood and then single motherhood turned out to be a, greater challenge than anything I had ever experienced you know and so I started to need an outlet and I also think I had reached an age where I had a lot of things that I needed to say you know what I mean and and I think writing is an outlet for that for me it's more effective for that than anything else you know I at that point I'd been through a lot of difficult things and I was going through a lot of difficult things and I needed to like express these things you know and um and so writing kind of gave me that outlet. And so even though I was getting rejected and I was being told like, no, this is not good. You will not publish this thing. Um, it was still doing something for me. And so I I grew to where I needed it. And then I also really needed to do something and succeed at it. Like I really needed my creativity to lead to something where I could be like, look, I did this, I followed it through and I succeeded. And so it became kind of an obsession to get published because I don't know, I guess I just felt like I needed a win. You know, I like needed something that was just mine and that I could say, I did this for 10 years and it wasn't for nothing. And I I don't know that that's the right way to think about it, but that's how I felt at the time. That If I kept writing and writing and writing, I was like, I'm either going to get published or I'm going to die trying, but I'm not going to just give up. Like, that's not going to happen. Um, I, I'm going to keep writing, so I might as well keep trying to publish them. Nice. So. Sounds like it brought you joy, too. 
Yeah. I mean, it's more like just like relief. Like you have, you know, if you're that creative person and this is how you process all the things that are happening to you in your life, you know, if you don't have that outlet, you're, you're just going to, you know, feel so dead inside and like pent up and like, so had to happen. Yeah. Yeah, and, And I think this is one of the first times that we are exploring writing as an outlet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and it's I think definitely a lot of writers out there really view writing as something that they see as a release of whatever emotions that are pent up inside. Or, mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you know you there's just there's murder that needs to happen, <laughs> but of course <laughs> you don't want it. So let's just put it in a book, you know, and um, yeah. and and that's definitely a beautiful thing because I think sometimes we forget that it is something therapeutic as well, the yeah. the writing process, and it's what it's what gets us through. And when you were exploring these, so um, what made you? Well, how did you find yourself? Um, writing the book that it, it eventually got published, your your debut novel. That was actually my darkest thing that I had ever written. Um, I was in a tough place at the moment. Although when I was writing it, I was I was just working at this job that I hated. I freaking hated this job, and I was I was using that book as a and I had to commute to this job, so I had that's always been kind of a magical cocktail for me. Is like. I don't like the job, but I have to drive far to get there because then I'm writing my book in my head on the car, in the car on the way and on the way home mm-hmm. as a way to like dissociate and not be at this job I hate, you know? Um, and so I, I was plotting it out in my head and I was like, okay, there's this guy. I really had in, in my mind that there was this guy who, um, he was kind of haunting this theme park and I love to think of this goth this is I'm like this has to be in the 80s I don't know why I knew it was going to be in the 80s I'm like and he's like haunting this theme park like this is what he does every day he goes to it's like someone just goes to Disneyland every day and they just like he was like an an artist he would like sketch the people I'm like I love this creepy guy he's my favorite he's amazing I love this this creepy dude and and his story just kind of like you know, I was like, what if he met a girl at the theme park? And what if, you know, what if she went missing after they went on like one date together? And then what if we learned that he actually has a really dark history and there's a reason he's like imprisoning himself at the theme park every day. And then what if we don't trust him? What if we think he might be unreliable? And it just like turned into this, it, you oh, know, wow. I was like, this is the weirdest book idea. Cause like this dude is so unconventional of a main character. I mean, he's this very like, soft 80s dude with like a feather earring and he's (laughs) in Texas in the 80s like he does not fit into this um you know and he's recently been released from a psychiatric prison and he's like but he's like young and handsome like what's his deal like this is the weirdest this is very like if the cure were a book but I'm like this is not going to get published I'm like this is a weird indie freaking but at this point I was feeling kind of punk rock because I was tired of querying and I'm like who cares if it's weird you know what no one's gonna ever read it except for me so I'm just gonna write this dude this this, no one's ever you know who cares nobody is ever going to see this like so I'm gonna write about Sean and his creepy theme park 
stalking. Oh, and you can do whatever you want it to. <laughs> I can do whatever I want because like literally no one will ever see this. Um, and then. And that <laughs> turned out to be the one that got published. And it was my weirdest book. And it is still the weirdest book I've ever written. And I then broke my wrist and my hip and like had to go into surgery. And I heard, I got um, an offer of rep the day I was going into surgery. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> I was literally like texting her one-handed, like emailing her one-handed, like on anesthesia. And then I had to rewrite the book, but I only had one useful hand. And they were like, they gave me a soft cast on my broken wrist. And I told them, and they they were like, as long as you're careful, you can't, um, you're not going to re, I'm like, I might, don't you think I might re-break it? They were like, no, no. If it starts hurting, just know like you've got it. I'm like, you don't know me. You've got to give me a hard cast. Like I will, because this is my writing hand, you know? And they were like, no, no. They were like, it's not, it's going to hurt enough if you try, if you mess with it, that you're not going to, and sure enough, I completely screwed that wrist up, um, rewriting Hunting Annabelle. I had to go into surgery and they had to put a plate in it. Uh, oh my so, gosh. Oh wow. Yeah. So you I have a physical them. reminder. Like, you cannot trust me. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So I have a plate in my wrist and its name is Hunting Annabelle. <laughs> that was my first book. That's cool. That is just so beautiful because, you know, it's like when you were telling us about your shelf books and like you were so sure this is it, this is it. And then the book where you were like, yeah, that's when it happened. I was like, really this one? And it was, it was short too. Like I, it, it was only at like 65,000 words when I sent, when I sent it on query, like it was just a weird book. I was very surprised that it got, that it got, it was my first one to get published. <laughs> How, so how did you query it? Like, why? Uh, it was why adult. A, okay, adult. Okay. Yeah, because he's a, he's like twenty three. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like, so you just say like in your query letter like adult fiction or adult thriller or how did you? I, I think I called it a psychological thriller because it was it was very traditional psych thriller like it, it was like girl goes missing we're searching for the girl I mean it was very like traditional thriller you know, exciting third act, we find out what happened and it was bad. <laughs> and is that when you thought, like after you got your agent and, and everything, like, is that when you figured this is the genre that I want to write? Did that cement no. it? No. No. <laughs> because my next book that I wanted to write was um, called Epicenter. And it was about a girl who's nomadic, who um, is at the epicenter of, looks like in the 90s, there were a lot of earthquakes all over California. Mm-hmm. Um, and I lived here, so I remember them. And, and my idea was like, what if a girl was at the epicenter of all these earthquakes? Like she was nomadic, so she was always moving around. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, she didn't know why she was connected to these earthquakes. And so that was the mystery of the book. Um, but you see, that is a speculative novel. And so the second I was dealing with now I now I was a published author on a two book deal mm-hmm. and I was not allowed to write a speculative novel for my book oh. too so oh. this is where it became one of those things where I was like okay I now I'm starting to understand I am not allowed to have speculative elements I can't have anything supernatural I can't have anything um times like it has to be um present tense or past but it can only go back a certain amount it becomes historical mm-hmm. um so I started 
having to plot within the limitations of that genre. Um, so yeah, so I had to toss my next book idea and try to find something that was more of a thriller, traditional thriller. So then I went with The Kill Club. Now that you have so many books out, do you think that you could go back or do you want to even? Yeah, like I have so many speculative ideas that I want to do. I have a million. Like, for example, I still want to write my Earthquake Girl book, although I took the main character of that book and used her in my 2023 adult thriller called You Can Trust Me, the like nomadic protagonist. So I don't know if I can. I've already done a nomadic protagonist, so I don't know if I can do that again. Mm -hmm. um, I have a vampire book. I have I am like part, halfway done I have on the shelf. I have a past lives book that I really want to write. I have so many. There's so many. I want to write speculative fiction. I have a paranormal. Like, I really like speculative fiction. And my plan with my agent has been to open up another brand that's speculative. Yeah. Um, it's just that I can only write so many books per year. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, your writing style with a vampire novel, um, please, now. I'm obviously meant to do this, right? Yes, like, this is yes. my destiny. Yes. Yes, totally. I know. It's it's um, I know it's a the, what I have on the shelf is a is a gay Dracula retelling. I know. Oh my god, that sounds amazing. I want it so bad. I know. Don't but, tease us with this. Let us know when we can pre-order, please. Because <laughs> people are already. I think that the little vampire wave is already passed. I don't know. No, take my money. Take my money right now. <laughs> I need it. I need if any editors are out there listening, please. <laughs> Can I tell you that, okay, like I, as a queer woman um, and as a queer woman writing a female, female Dr Dracula retelling that it is behind the scenes being called Dicula by like everybody <laughs> that I'm friends with. <laughs> Okay, that's not a bad title. <laughs> if she ever gets a draft from me, that is going to be the title. Yeah, and... <laughs> and just let us know when we can push the pre-order button. Yes, please. Exactly. <laughs> okay. like, you know, any editor that's listening to this right now, uh, please. I have I have Wendy's email. Just <laughs> I would if you would like to acquire this book. Yes. Please, I can make it's that. So cute, I don't know why publishing is so weird about vampires because everyone yes. that I know wants to read about vampires. Yes. And I don't know why they're so stingy with the vampires. We want sexy vampires. We want actually scary vampires. Yes. You know what yes. I mean? We want the yes. monster vampires. We want yes. the non-monster vampires. We don't really want the sparklies. We're kind of done with the sparkly vampires. We're just kind of tired of the like vanilla vampires. We had yes. enough for the moment of those, right? But like... <laughs> I, I don't know why they decide all of a sudden it's like no no more vampires they're like, like oh why? no one it's scary. And all the readers are like no if you like vampires you'll buy every single vampire book that's out there I don't understand it's the same with dystopian I, I love dystopian I would buy everything same. that's just yeah yeah I know. like I some of my favorite books growing up like the giver or yeah. like um like there's just so many good the handmaid's tales stuff like that like yeah. i would absolutely any day and they're always hits like people always like dystopian i don't know why they're so stingy with these genres i agree yeah oh, they should just let us rule the publishing I, I know exactly and, and plus anyway it comes back around the, it the, does. the vampire novels are always always you know it, of all the paranormal creatures it's a, i know a mainstay that comes it can come and go, but you know, but this this book, oh, 
I honestly, you know, I I would I will question the judgment of an editor who will reject a book like this. It's right. It's one of those things where it's like, I really do want to launch a speculative brand. And I've often thought maybe someday I will release the young adult and replace that with speculative, or maybe one day I'll clone myself and then I can write like four books a year. You know what I mean? It's just, it's hard to know where to fit it in. Right. Because it's like, you have so many, I don't know, because when you write in a genre, they really do. They don't expect, like, if you're lucky, you are blessed to write a book a year in that genre. It's usually the flow, you know what I mean? And so like, you don't want to let that go cold. And so you're kind of like, every time you're starting a new brand, you're kind of committing to at least try to write a book a year in that brand in a perfect world, if it goes well. And so you're kind of committing, like, could I really write a book a year like this? And then also a book a year of that. And then also a book a year of that, you know, that's kind of the thing. So it it can be a bit, I'm not one of those people who can write like a book in a month. Like a lot of people, especially in romance, they can write them so fast, not that fast. I, I guess just just make it your lover on the side, you know. That's what I've always done. Yeah, yeah just so that it, it gets, you know, because you never know another turnover <laughs> happens, and then. But well, if yeah. you look at Rebecca Yaros right now, is going into you mm. know a different direction. So if we're yeah. keeping, put that out in the universe, that it'll happen to you too. Especially yeah, if it's something that you really want to do and you love yeah. that much. That I mean, you. you how do you spell Yaros? Y-A-R-R-O-S. Yeah. What's yeah, she doing? Like, I'm trying to find. She did, she's got the fourth wing coming out. Yeah, so she, oh, she yeah. initially mm-hmm. did romance and yes. uh, lots of rom- And then she's pivoting into fantasy dragons and mm-hmm. all that. And it's being widely... Um, you know, this book is highly anticipated as well. So it's like, nice. kind of, you can, right? You can yeah. pivot. And that's what we've learned in this podcast as well. It's like mm-hmm. a lot of the writers that we have talked to uh, are pivoting to other genres, are exploring other things because mm-hmm. it no longer are we in the box, you know, need to be in boxed in. And um, this is really us just convincing you to Easy. You can definitely I, do it. We have utter faith in you. Yes, know. we have faith in I your appreciate that. I mean, <laughs> the person who wrote this book can write that book. Yes. Um, in, in all yeah, I think, it, I think for all of us, you know, I, I think for, I think it's fair though that like, for example, um, if you're a literary fiction writer and you decide to write a sci-fi novel, like a high sci-fi novel, you probably aren't going to bring your litfic readers with you. Yes. So it's a fair concern on publishing's end that they're like, you're building a readership. You're probably not going to bring that readership with you into picture books. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not, not reasonable. Or like if you're building a high fantasy readership, you're probably not going to bring them over into literary nonfiction, you know? So it's like, it's one of those things where I understand the concern. I'm not, you know, bagging on publishing for trying to keep it. They're, they're trying to help us build a brand. And I, I really do appreciate that. And I totally understand that. It's just hard for authors because we are artists and yeah. artists are not, you know, it's like there's the business brain and then there's the artist brain. The artist brain is like, I want to make shiny thing. And the business brain <laughs> is like, you know, trying to convince you to, to write the thing that will appease or like make your readers appeal to your readers 
And to okay, I get it. Starting well, all over again, a lot of yeah. Know, like, why don't we? Uh, why do we understand that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, from... it's fair. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's fair. And you also have to. I mean, because I like I like all different types of genres, and so yeah. I tend to. And I'm probably there are a lot of people who are the same who, when you find an author you love, yes. you love how yeah. they write, and they yeah. you will follow that person to whatever. I will. I'll follow them and I'm pretty easy like I'll kind of go on whatever journey you want to take me on you know what I mean like I think when I was a kid there was a lot more genre bending um that was done like I don't know if you remember authors like Dean Koontz yes um he would do a lot of like you you can read a Dean Koontz novel it's like there's a sci-fi one it's like there's a, just a psych thriller right. one and like there's one that's like really medical like procedural law enforcement like it just seemed to be like there was a little bit more genre bending I don't I don't know. So it could just be that because that's how I grew up reading, I'm comfortable with that in a way. But now it seems to be there's a little bit less of that. Like you're not going to have like if you have like a Rob Hart, he's not going to write a thriller that has, you know, fantasy elements or he's not going to write a historical, you know, he's, a, you know, going to write this type. Of, so it's just kind of like if you're a dystopian writer, you're writing dystopian sci-fi. If you're a but that said, my friend, I don't know if you're familiar with Mike Chen he um he's a really good friend of mine we've been on this journey together and he writes kind of like he had a time travel book and he has a um, vampire book and a future book so superheroes yeah. he kind of does everything. he's the one who wrote here and then and now right yeah mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i love that book yeah if we could make that connection we would love to have him on the podcast yes. as well <laughs> so, but yeah he's yeah. really wonderful so we will we will discuss that. Okay. But, uh, I think we need to we need to go back to that time of the author as the brand, not not the genre as the brand of the yeah. More of because as you said, Dean Koontz, he, he is the, the he is the brand, you know. Mm -hmm. So you follow him for his writing, not mm -hmm. necessarily what is in the writing or or what. Uh, yeah, you know, the, whatever well, genre. Would it be right. comparable to to like a, an artist? You know, like yeah. I mean, Picasso going through his blue phase is this, you know, like yeah. is that genres, but you're still it's still a Picasso. You know, like you can still see you're what right. he's doing and say. So maybe that's how publishing needs to look at us too. Yeah. And also like musicians, you know, uh, for example, you have a lot of musicians that have like a a slower album, one that's more like melodic and like more soulful then they'll do an album that's like a little bit faster and more rhythmic and you know and their their fans will have preferences among their albums but they still like that musician just it's um agreed yeah but okay, you know so what though, it, right? <laughs> that's kind of changing though actually because it's not so much like that anymore people are kind of like they pick songs and they make playlists yeah true but they don't necessarily follow artists the same way that the musicians the same way that they used to so maybe it is sort of a cultural shift oh wow. could be mm -hmm. yeah. unless your name is taylor swift and then you could do whatever you want royalty right there but but she i mean she explores other i mean if we're just gonna talk about oh, yeah. it, she explores other genre of music Absolutely. as well i mean she just she mm -hmm. could have stayed in country forever but she true but it's the same thing like I mean you listen to a song from her and you know it's her song you know exactly. like it's yeah the same. so that's why I think going into Taylor different Swift, genres it's, Taylor yeah. Swift is the brand exactly yeah. so yeah. The, the music isn't the brand it's like 
she's not just country. She's she's yeah. not just pop. And so I, I think we we also need to translate that in the author space. And I think a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of the bigger authors are tra- are starting to do it. So um the reception, hopefully the reception would also be as good, just so that to show the publishing industry that, hey, you know, yeah, if if the writer that we have writes a good book uh, or a great book, even if it's not in the genre that they started in, like, why not, you know? You know what um, the interesting thing about that is, though, is that the thing is you're talking, I'm realizing, like, if I am a musician, a successful musician, I don't have to change my record label every time the genre of my album changes. But if I am a writer, I have Mm -hmm. to change my publisher for every genre change that I make. I can't just like stay with my publishing house and do any genre I want. If I want to publish a sci-fi book, I have to go on sub and find a sci-fi publisher. You know what I'm saying? So, and what about for your agent? Would your agent let you carry over into different... Because I know some agents, they only focus on, you know, like, yeah, that's a good point or, you know. So like the reason I like really, really wanted to work with my agent and the reason I think that we continue to work so well together is that she represents kind of everything. Mm -hmm. And so she'll be that she's, she actually really wants me to start writing middle grade. She's like, I want you writing a spooky middle grade. Um, cause I have a couple of those, you know, she's like, I want like a Wednesday Adams graveyard spooky witchy middle grade from you, but like that because she represents everything we're a good match right like she does a lot of fantasy she does sci-fi she does adult thriller she does young a ton of young adult middle grade like so if no matter which idea I have I can run it through her and she knows where to sub it however I have friends who like their agent really just does adult thriller Mm -hmm. and or adult thriller women's fiction drama you know this is like their specialty so if they want to write a young adult novel they're going to have to find a different agent for that but that's not always going to fly very well with your current agent they don't often like to have a client with multiple agents or Mm -hmm. for example I know I've seen my agent get queried by people who are in that situation and she's like but I represent adult thriller so I would like you to bring all of your books over with you to me but they might not want to do that because they have a good relationship over there so it's a very difficult position for people to be in if they're not with an agent that does a lot of different things and if they want to and I think you kind of have to know in advance, too, because when you start going and trying to find an agent, if you don't know it, especially if you have, you know, you have a book that's a YA and then you have another book that's yeah. an you don't know which one is actually going to sell, but you get an yeah. agent for just the YA book and well, then you have to keep on writing YA. And, and then like people get into the situation that's just very practical. Let's say they write um, mm-hmm. fantasy and it just doesn't sell. And so they have to branch out and do something else. And maybe even do a pen name or something and just completely start over and rebrand. There's nothing wrong with that. That happens to a lot of people. But in that situation, they can't often stay with their same agent. They have to start all over again. And it can be really disheartening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, writing is hard enough, right? <laughs> <laughs> throw, in, throw in other things. But I, I mean, on, on a final note, like when you said, if when you want to write a different genre, you have to find a different publisher for that genre. I mean, from the way that the publishing industry is going, there will be only one publisher. <laughs> They're all eating each we other. We have so many jokes about Simon's, what are we calling it? Simon's Random House of Penguins. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to end up one big like acronym. Yeah, that. So you, uh-huh. know, you know, it's just this one big, it's like how Disney is, uh, 
gobbling up everything and it's going to be our overlord. So, you like know, Amazon, like the Amazon of publishing. <laughs> yeah, That's right. same, you know, and then so now it wouldn't be a problem with you, but if you want to well, And but, also like, if you're someone like a Dean Koontz, you know, I don't think Dean Koontz has to change publishers when he changes genres because he's no. Dean Koontz. The right. problem is that he was able to make his name in that genre blurred space before publishing kind of adjusted. And so he's kind of grandfathered in and he's a huge writer. For newer writers, it's a little bit, you know, less. Yeah. And, yeah. and definitely, I feel like when you're starting out, you are in that one spot. And then you feel like, oh, I want to explore other things. Sometimes you don't know that you want to explore these other things until you reach that point in your career where you're like, yeah. That's a great point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you never know. Like, I never thought I would write horror. I, I always avoided horror. But then now I'm exploring. I want, I want, I have an idea for a horror. So I never thought of that. So when you're querying, it's not like you're thinking, oh, yeah, I'll go with this agent because in the future, they also represent horror and I will want to... Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it's, right. It's it's kind uh, of that... People yeah. are like, I wrote a book. I would like to get it published. And then <laughs> they get overwhelmed because people are like, so what do you want the next 10 years of your writing life to look like? And they're like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's you know... It's a long time. <laughs> just, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I just want to keep writing. That's mm-hmm. basically yeah, exactly. it. Like, um so but this uh, see it's like once again we we have entered a discussion on this podcast that we never expected yep in the beginning and 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 now and it's so, it's so eye-opening when you took us through a master class of writing and going into the industry and talking about what is going on in the industry and how the evolution of everything is and how we can one day expect that um vampire novel to please be uh, in existence. We need that book in our lives. Um, but we will now shift to Christy and her 10 uh, speed round questions. Christy, take it away. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Really easy. Like whatever comes to mind, it can be a one word answer or more. It doesn't matter. We just want to get to know you a little bit better. Are you ready? Okay. I'm ready. Yep. Number one, if you see a spider in your house, does it live to see another day? Yes, of course. They're my friends. <laughs> I can't say the same for me. If I if I don't see them, they can live in my house. If I see them, I'm sorry. Um, we get a little relocation. <laughs> I like that. Do you consider yourself an organized person or do you crave the chaos? Organized. Very nice. Do you listen to music as you write? No, it needs to be white noise, like coffee shop background noises. Mm. I do the same thing. If a movie were made of based on your life, what genre would it be? <laughs> um, oh my God. I'd be like, it'd be like one of those quirky, like dark comedies. <laughs> I like, that. like LGBTQ dark comedy. There you go. <laughs> I like that. Would you rather be the hero or the sidekick? Hero. <laughs> Would you want to be able to read people's minds? No, God, <laughs> no, probably not. Better, yeah. It's better this way. I agree with you. If you could read one book or see one movie again for the first time, what would it be? 
Oh my God. Okay. I mean, I think I'm going to say um, interview with the vampire. <gasps> That's a great I, one. I the, when I was, there's nothing more transformative than what it was like to read that book at like age 14 and be like, <laughs> Oh my God. Yes. Like, good, good answer. Very good answer. Who's your favorite villain? Oh my goodness. There's so many good ones. Um, right now I'm going to go with Catra from She-Ra. Okay. We're going to go with that too. First thing in the morning, is it coffee, tea, juice, something else? Coffee. But now it's decaf. <laughs> oh yeah. I know we reach an age where, and number 10, which is always like the most, you know, analytical academic one. Would you tell someone you first, you just met that they have something stuck in their teeth? No. No. <laughs> no. Just let it slide, let it go. If we just met, no. Because that's going to just be, I don't know. I'm not, I don't have it in me to deal with the amount of awkwardness that's going to ensue. <laughs> I always feel for the person though, because when they do realize I that know. they had something, they're going to be I like, know. oh my God. So, but thank you so much for answering those. Really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> great. Oh, those are, great, great. I like those. Those are that's like a little personality test. <laughs> so Shelby's, uh what are your answers uh to Christy's questions are they the same as Wendy's or do you have your own please let us know in the comments down below we would love to interact with you and uh see what your answers are because as we know Christy's questions come from far and wide and it's a you know it, it's a lottery of questions that we definitely appreciate each and every week here on the podcast and um, so, Wendy, where can they find you on the internet? Okay, so um, I would say if you want, like, me being weirdly um, funny sometimes, you can go on Twitter. If you want to just, like, see pictures of things, then that would be Instagram. And that's going to be at Wendy D. Heard on everything. I do have a TikTok under Wendy D. Heard. I don't update it a lot because I don't know. You know, <laughs> it's just, it's just I, another don't love, one. <laughs> I just don't love being on video. Yeah. Um, but on my, if you go on my website, wendyheard.com, on my newsletter, I have like this whole interactive game on my newsletter where it's literally like a choose your own adventure done digitally. It's really cool. So I like nice. this and that. And I also have like a whole um, write up on a serial killer most people don't know about. And there's like a free short story. Like my newsletter is like pretty fleshed out so if you want to go on there there's a lot of free stuff very cool OMG I I am I am definitely going after, <laughs> after going to bed first I need to bed first but definitely check out please Shelby's go to Wendy's website and check out her newsletter we definitely will be checking it out and she is definitely worth the follow on Twitter that's where I and by the way, the cover of your latest YA is like just stunning. So, so, so. It's cool, right? I can't mm -hmm. wait for that one. This is actually Beautiful. my favorite YA I've ever written. So I hope people, I hope people like it. Nice. These, these Shelby's, you know, you have to, you have to get, go get that book because I, I am already right there <laughs> <laughs> waiting in anticipation for it. Um. So Wendy, what are you working on now that uh, we can hope for in the future? 
So for both of my 2023 releases, I have a second book and those two book deals. I'm working on those. Um, and so we're just at the beginning stages. We're figuring out what the books are going to be about. And, um, you know, we're kind of just starting. So I'm about to launch into drafting for both of my second books in those two book deals. So there should be one adult and one young adult uh, thriller coming out in about a year or so, year and a half. I don't know Yay. how long these things take. But uh, but yeah, so those are what I'm working on this year. So that's what you're balancing both at the same time? Trying to stagger them. I'm, I'm trying to go back and forth. I'm working more on the adult right now and then I'll do the young adult. I'm trying to go back and forth. I have a really hard time drafting in first draft two things oh. at the same time. It's I can't. Yeah. It's really hard. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, we definitely look for we you have fans in us Wendy I mean we are looking forward to each and every book that you that comes out from you and we are so grateful to have you on the podcast thank you for having me this is a really fun talk and I, I really appreciate you thank, oh, you thank you we appreciate you we appreciate you. you too Shelby's it's another episode of the Shell Books podcast and please join us next week because we have another interesting guest on offer that you can take with you on your hikes or you can um, listen to while doing chores around the house. I love listening to podcasts while <laughs> doing chores around the house. So make us your podcast of choice. And like authors, we also need uh, reviews. So if you can give us a five-star review on uh, your podcast app of choice, it helps readers find us. If you are uh, readers, well, yes, and uh, writers <laughs> find us. Um, but if you are watching this on YouTube, you know, giving us a thumbs up, subscribing, it does help because the algorithm does pick us up um, when you do that. Those simple things are huge, huge help. So uh, please remember, subscribe, like, leave a five-star review, say something nice, and we would appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts. We are your hosts, Kate Evangelista. Angie Sandro, Christy Berman. And remember, everybody, keep on writing. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you. Thank you. And that was another episode of the Shelved Books Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Till the next one, stay safe, read more, write more, and continue to be at your creative best. The world is waiting, and so are we.